welcome in to episode number 63 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Indeed, it's a glorious day because I am getting my second vaccine. Yes, hallelujah, my second vaccine, and I'm going to Fort Lauderdale for Memorial Day weekend. So there's that. (laughs) All right. Now the question is, Once I am fully vaccinated, will I be able to sit in a coffee shop in the city of Boston? That is the question that we still have to ask ourselves. But it's a sports kiki. It's a Saturday. We're happy. We're feeling good. Uh, And it's very, it's rare that a guest works out this way, that, that a guest booking is as serendipitous as this one was. But Jeff Reuter is a soccer writer for The Athletic, you diehard kikiers may remember him from the fall. He came out as bisexual, so I had him on the show to talk about his coming out story, his new perspective as an openly bisexual sports writer, bi-visibility. It's a great talk. I wrote a good story about it after as well. Uh, so I had Jeff back on this week. We did this a couple days ago because there has been the percolating Sebastian Legette story. I wanted to talk about him, talk to him about homophobia in soccer in general, because this kind of stuff comes up over and over again. And I also wanted to talk about the Super League, which is my favorite sports story in a long time. And I know next to nothing about international soccer. So all right, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good interview, good to catch up with Jeff. And then Friday afternoon, we get the news, broken on Out Sports by Sid Ziegler, that Sebastian Legette suspended two games by the MLS for saying uh, an anti-gay slur to a teammate and posting it on Instagram two weeks ago. We also had the story on Out Sports before anybody else. So... Yeah, great time to have Jeff on. And Jeff has a really interesting theory as to why Major League Soccer suspended Legette this week and not last week. Just a little background for those who don't know. Sebastian Legette is a player for the Los Angeles Galaxy in Major League Soccer and on the U.S. men's national team. Two weeks ago, he posted a video on Instagram in which he made was making fun of a teammate calling said teammate puto which is a mexican anti-gay slur so legit is calling his teammate puto 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 he posts it on instagram we have the story in out sports he issues a big apology and then nothing happens the mls despite saying it as a no tolerance policy for hate speech allows him to play last week in the LA Galaxy's opening game. And then on Friday, Friday afternoon, we get word, 3 o'clock Eastern, that Legette has been suspended two games. So there has been a lag in the suspension two weeks after we published the video on Outsports. So what's going on there? It is worth noting that Legette did issue a lengthy apology to us two weeks ago when this story first broke. He said, I messed up. Earlier today, I posted a video that including me using a derogatory slur in Spanish. I take full responsibility and ownership on what was an extremely poor and ill-thought phrase and have no excuse for my action. I am sorry and know the pain that this term has caused for so many. Thanks for your accountability. I need to do and be better. 
talked about he wants to be part of the solution, be an advocate for the LGBTQ community, be an ally. So unique from the standpoint that he issued a statement to us, which not every pro athlete does when they're in this situation, and really seemed to take responsibility. But then again, there's that two-week lag. So Jeff has some theories on that. We talk about the overall culture in soccer surrounding anti-gay slurs and why these stories seem to come up over and over again. And in sports in general, what is, what's the best way to handle these things? Is it suspensions? Is it work in the community? Is it, uh, you know, the media coverage too, I think impacts this a lot. Everybody obviously covers the gay slur when it's said, but then nobody covers the aftermath. The Legit story is a great example. We were the only outlet last week that noted he wasn't suspended for the opening game. So everyone covered the slur two weeks ago, and then last week, no one covered that he was playing in the opener. You go to the Justin Thomas story. That was one of the biggest stories in sports when it happened a few months ago. He says that anti-gay slur on the greens, calls himself the three-letter F-word, everyone covers that story, and now... Is Justin Thomas doing anything? Is he doing any work in the community? Is he trying to learn and curtail casual homophobia? I don't know. No one's covering that. No one would cover that except us, really. So there's that gap in coverage that Jeff and I talk about a lot as well. We also get into the Super League. Okay, you don't have to be a soccer person to care about this story. Basically, as I'm sure you know... 12 of the biggest teams in European soccer, Manchester United, AC Milan, go on down the line, Chelsea, every team you've heard of, they were part of this. They wanted to break away from their traditional leagues and form a super league and just play the best, just like the NFL, NBA, MLB, any professional sport we have here in the United States. In Boston, we paid attention to this because John Henry, of course, owner of the Red Sox, is also the owner of Liverpool. Well, the fans revolted, the players revolted, the coaches revolted, and within 48 hours, the Super League was no more. They announced it was disbanding. The fans rose up against billionaires who just wanted to play each other, the best teams play each other, no more community aspect, you know, Manchester versus Chelsea, that gets a lot of attention. Let's do that every week. Let's have the TV money rain in, baby. That's the attitude that we take for granted here in America, that sports owners are going to screw the fans. It's all about the money. Anyway, these billionaires can pad their wallets. They're going to do it. And we accept that because that's we're just defeatist over here. We've given up. Not across the pond. Let me tell you. They have stood up and said, nope. Not happening here. And that, I think, is just such a great story of fans, of people, regular, actual people, rising up, rising up. So that's super cool. I talked to Jeff about that as well. It's the Sports Kiki, episode 63, almost fully vaxxed edition. We'll be right back. And on the phone lines, as I mentioned in the opening, we have one of our returning champions, the Sports Kiki podcast. Jeff Reuter is a staff writer at The Athletic, coming back to talk, uh, I think, a few interesting soccer items, yes, on the show. Uh, Jeff, how are you, sir? Welcome to the podcast. I'm good. Probably a little bit more comfortable this time now that I know I'm not answering questions about myself. Kind of funny how that always works out, but 
um, no, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. That's that show did well. The story did well. What's the reaction been since your big announcement in October? Yeah, it's been refreshingly uh, quiet yeah. <laughs> for the most part. Um, I will say for those of you who didn't hear in October, I came out publicly as bisexual after being out with friends and family for almost a decade. Um, and yeah, I mean, like occasionally there are a few, uh, you know, because right around that same time was when there was a homophobic slur used in a, a USL second division soccer game. And uh, there were, of course, some some fans who were biased one way or the other who were saying you're only saying that because you're queer. And it's like, well, that's kind of a good reason if that was the reason anyway, right, to be so uh, outspokenly against homophobia. What a right. crazy concept that would be. But other than that, honestly, it's been really, really chill. Of course, I've just felt professionally so much more free right. to... Um, you know, just occupy space in my own natural way and not try to conform into whatever else. So uh, it, it has been good, but I will say it does not come up terribly often, which um, just in conversations or people are not like like fans, readers, what have you, are not bringing it up at me. It's just like an accepted part of who I am. So uh, that's how it should be, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, I think we talked about this last time, but like for me, I can never imagine being a professional journalist or broadcaster without being openly gay. Granted, I work for Outsports, so I guess that would be a little hard <laughs> to, to do it. But um, <laughs> maybe. And I, and yeah. I was a sports radio guy before that, so a lot of personality. But I mean, I, it it does free you up, right, to talk about things like Sebastian Legette without any worries, right? Right. Yeah. And and if nothing else, it's not necessarily like look whether it's it's racism, homophobia gender-based language like I, I think that hate speech is always going to be something that writers should feel empowered to cover and to cover in full and cover critically um but there is something different when it is a community which you're a part of like look i could have again very easily lived my public life as a straight white man right but yeah. uh, i think that there's just like there's a different sort of uh base of knowledge and base of uh you know publicly uh, I, I guess like the public perceives you to have that much more credibility when you are talking about the queer community, when you are part of the queer community, right. right. Rather than, uh, you know, I will say that the, the, the Sebastian Legette situation is different because one accountability, and I'm sure that we'll get through all of this, but like the accountability that he showed from the start is very different than other uh, similar examples in recent years that we've seen in soccer. But there's also a part of it where, because it was so quick, I think that a lot of media outlets felt like, okay, well, we don't really have to cover that because it's already been done. He spoke without sports and uh, we'll just wait to see if there's a, a punishment of any kind. Yeah, that's interesting because actually one thing that we have been talking about in like our Outsports Slack channel is that, so when we had the story a couple weeks ago with Legit and the gay slur was on Instagram, obviously every outlet picked it up, but then no outlet covered that he played last week in the season opener for the galaxies that was like a hole in the story and now he's suspended two games so everyone's covering it again uh, but what do you think about this overall legit situation where as you mentioned he issued a very forthright apology uh you know right afterwards and mm -hmm. uh, has spoken at length about it opposed to others in this spot so yeah what, what's your take on this overall story yeah i i, I think that there's a there's something that's curious to me about the fact that the suspension held off until yeah. the second game of the season. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and I don't have any 
deep intel into this, but I'm just going to kind of state a, a series of a few facts. <laughs> and then uh, I, I think that the readers can play journalist at home and sort of start to see where these might be falling. Um, but, but step one, you have uh, Sebastian Legette. It's not an accusation. It's not an allegation. It's not hearsay. It is caught on his own personal Instagram account in a video which he uploaded himself and he deleted himself. So there is... Uh, concrete evidence of this, right? It, it, it's on camera. There's a microphone, which means then, yes, step two, he does have the accountability, which other athletes in the past have been lacking in these instances of hate speech being reported on playing fields. You, you see a lot of players who will say, uh, I didn't say that. I didn't say it like that. I didn't mm-hmm. mean it seriously. I forgot that you were gay and be it in the <laughs> instance last fall, right? Uh, where they will go with any excuse in the book that they can muster if they think it's going to make their career easier for them. And, and, and I think that sometimes that, that sort of accountability has been so lacking. And I think that that was when Meg Linehan and myself wrote that piece in the aftermath of the Colin Martin instance uh, against Phoenix Rising last year. That was something that we talked about at length with a spokesperson from Athlete Ally, the necessity of accountability to be able to move forward um, and, and move past these instances continuing to happen. I will also say that their season opening game was, uh, I believe, a national telecast mm. against Inter-Miami. And so I, I don't know if there is anything to that, but, but my, my gut says that there is something important about having a U.S. men's national team player involved in that game. Yeah. Um, and the only reason I really say that is because there wasn't mm. a lot to investigate. Right. Again, like this was this was on video. This was yeah. something that was on his personal account. It wasn't something fabricated. It wasn't yeah. a deep fake. Uh, so th- there's something just a little strange about that. Um, I, I mean, you can talk about punishment length. I mean, like it's the USL has suspended. They've had three instances of hate speech for either homophobia or racism over the last two seasons. And each player got somewhere between six to eight games, yeah. two games. You know, but but again, like how how do you put a measure on uh, accurate and adequate punishment for hate speech? It is it is something that is so uh, difficult. There's there's no kind of rule book or textbook, and and I think leagues are figuring out that they need to have some sort of approach because these instances unfortunately keep happening in sports. I I, I that is really interesting, and and I think it makes a lot of sense um, that you'd wait. But then why would they suspend him at all? If it because I mean this story was basically going away. Outside of us, like, no yeah. one was covering it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it, it's still to send the message that it's unacceptable, yeah. even when you say it's a, I don't know, friendly fire or whatever, even when you say it's a, uh, something that has just been stuck. It's a word that you just happen to still have in your vocabulary, but you didn't mean it like that. Like, just to say, like, hey, we're not going to look the other way, because then if that starts happening, uh, it, it, it sets an unfair standard or a mm. standard you don't want to set where you say, hey, publicly we'll slap you on the wrist, uh, we'll set you up in private with somebody. In this case, it, would, it was also nice to see in Major League Soccer's press release that he will be going through sensitivity training mm-hmm. and, um, and some education on the matter much more with Athlete Ally. And that is good to see that it is an organization as well that I, I think a lot of us in the community respect. Um, so that's good. But uh, yeah, there, there is something very, very strange to me about the fact that uh, it would be delayed by a week when there really wasn't much for them to investigate and much that they needed to uncover. Hmm. I, I like a good conspiracy theory. So I'm, I'm, but, <laughs> but, th- but that does make sense. And, you know, I think that one thing that I've always said for gay slurs is 
let's compare and contrast it to if you said a racial slur. Like, let's say if Sebastian Legette uh, was, you know, jokingly throwing around racial epithets with his teammates, I bet you the yeah. MLS wouldn't have waited two weeks, and that's good. They should do it right away. But there, there still is that disconnect, I think, where anti-gay slurs are viewed as... You know, not not as big of a deal. More innocent, maybe. Right, more yeah, innocent. Yeah. And, and and maybe there is something to that because, I mean, it has been part of I mean, he, I'm 28 like he is. And growing up, yeah, we called each other gay slurs all the time. It's that casual homophobia. So, I don't know. Right, and I'm 27. And, and right. I know that in Minnesota where I grew up, uh, I mean, there, there was still – it was mostly dated and phased out by then. But there were still just a couple of people who would refer to soccer players as uh, – what was it? Field fairies. That was the name of, like <laughs> – uh, the team which again it's just so dumb right it's so trivial but it is it is all of this stuff that you grow up with where where soccer players in particular were, were kind of seen as compared to yeah. at least in minnesota it's the false it's also a false sport so it's like if you're not playing right, right, right. football american football you're playing soccer and, and so it was always this weird sort of contrast of like what seventh graders with <laughs> you know who, who are not able to make this sort of argument and not fully understanding what they're saying. So to see that carry over when you're 28 years old, that is something where it's okay. You've had the time to educate yourself. Yeah. Um, he also cited, I think in his interview without sports that he, he had been doing a lot of advocacy work over the years um, with the LGBTQ plus community. He, I mean, he's been with the galaxy since 2013. He's played with Robbie Rogers. He's, he's played with Landon Donovan, right. who of course was also at the center of the Colin Martin situation last mm-hmm. uh last fall so uh you, you know it's it is very bizarre to me as well uh that there would be a delay because i i do think that your tendency to assume that um you know a racial slur would be would have been cracked down on quicker i i, I do tend to agree with you on that point yeah yeah and, and he did say i want to be part of the solution not part of the problem and continue to be an advocate and ally for the lgbtq plus community. And look, I mean, my attitude on these things, is I totally believe that's possible. And I don't believe that because you say a gay, you know, a gay slur in whatever language to a teammate, a friend doesn't mean that you're this raging homophobe. So I, I, I think that's possible. But I also think that, you know, the real issue is I always say casual homophobia and addressing the impact that that actually has, right? Like Justin Thomas, you know, says what he says on the golf course. I'm not really all that interested in a self-flagulating apology from Justin Thomas. I want to see how he's actually going to work to erase those words from the golf course, just like I'm now much more interested in seeing how Sebastian Legette follows up and does he work to eliminate casual homophobia from locker rooms, the field, etc. And that's a part of the story that just never gets followed up on, but it by far is the most important part, right? It is, yeah, because it's it's the sort of work then at this point that, I, I think a lot of people who are caught using hate speech want that to be done in private. They don't want to be known as, you know, the right. player who used the slur. They don't want to show that they were the, the player who used to use slurs, which, like you said, that's more important. I think that's something that society can learn from more. That's something that casual sports fans can kind of latch onto more and, and is probably just more informative rather than being like, oh, guess who got caught this time, right? Right. But like you said, a lot of that is done privately. A lot of that is done out of sight. And there, there isn't like a, a certificate ceremony for going through sensitivity training that is publicly broadcast on team social media platforms, right? It is something that is very much done in private. I, I do, I, I do want to ask um, about the overall atmosphere of soccer because I've been in sports for about a year and a half. And these stories come up all the time, whether it's the Pudo issue in Mexico and FIFA mm-hmm up until recently, really tiptoeing around that. 
Uh, the Premier League, obviously, you know, I think that the tabloid coverage is a whole nother topic in terms of how that's done. But, you know, obviously, uh, mm. you know, the, the problems that they've had there and in European soccer. So what's the is there more trouble with this in soccer than is this is this an epidemic in soccer or because it seems like these stories come up even more than a lot of the sports, you know, here in, you know, here in the U.S. non-soccer. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, that they do come up more in soccer. And that isn't just, uh, like you said, you've gone through um, some of the global examples of this as well. And unfortunately, I I, I can't confidently say that they're used more in soccer. What I can say is they're identified more in soccer. And maybe part of that is the global aspect where, um, I mean, if you recall the, the slur that was used um, again, by that Phoenix, former Phoenix Rising player, um, right. was a Jamaican homophobic yes. player. And it was something that, yes, people in England recognized, I learned uh, throughout my reporting, mm. as, as they would say, hey, uh, mate, I'm from London, and I also know this term, right? But it, it, maybe, maybe they're not quite as known. And I think that when you look at American sports, uh, there's probably some pretty good training done on what you shouldn't say, right? Like, do not say these terms because these are universally seen as hate speech do not say these things um you know around other teammates or maybe there's some you know toxic locker room culture where if you say it in training hey let's address this in the locker room and let's never let this get out right like maybe there is something where it's not as much about public reporting um for whatever reason so yeah i i agree with you that i'm seeing these so much more in the sport of soccer i just i can't fully put my finger on why but but there is something alarming, frankly, just about the number. Again, the USL, which is the, the second division soccer men's soccer league in the United States, has seen three instances of hate speech of any kind that have been reported and uh, punished for the, the player who said the slur three different times over the last 18 months. That's um, wow. that's a massive issue, and it's something that they're looking to crack down on, and, and they, they're mandating sensitivity training for all players and staff and owners huh. before the season starts uh, tomorrow. So they've been going through this already in February and March, um, and then they've also uh, you know, kind of launched a uh, hmm. pride – I'm trying to uh, – excuse me, I forgot the branding they went with, yeah, but basically yeah, um, a, a, a cause where they're going to have uh, queer stories – and uh, basically, like, extend the pride within the league uh, calendar to not just be something in June, but be something year round. So they have dates uh, across the entire 12 month span of the year that they have identified as uh, kind of central pillars that they want to be highlighting. And this has been led, um, I think, very well. And, and their plan came out last week. I think it's Pride for All hmm. um, is definitely worth looking into. But that is, again, that's a response. That's a response to a problem that is not necessarily being ahead of the curve. Right, it's being reactive, not proactive. Um, exactly. And but that's interesting point about the difference in cultures and how soccer is just such a melting pot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm butcher this player's name, so I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. But uh, the football association <laughs> suspended a player uh, for six months for using a homophobic slur in a match in January. We wrote about it at the time, and this player was from Cameroon. And we Mm -hmm. mentioned that in the story because, you know, of course, the the culture in Cameroon, you know, not very open towards LGBTQ people. And we talk about how growing up here in the States, how prevalent casual homophobic, you know, and casual homophobia is in schools growing up. I can only imagine what it's like in some other countries that, you know, may not that are not as liberal. So that's interesting because I think that's right, that it's just such a large melting pot of players, so many words, so many, it's like there's, you can't cover everything. Right. And right. 
Yeah, which is it, it, it's so frustrating to have to go to the defeatist place, <laughs> right? Isn't it? And, and just say like, oh, if 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 there if there were hot mics, you know, people talk about how without fans, one of the interesting things about sports would be that you hear the field language more. You hear what the coaches are yelling. You hear what the yeah. the players in my sport, what the, the defenders are yelling to each other to stay in lockstep. What the attacker uh, or the midfielder is telling the striker to do in the final third. How great that would be. The flip side is uh, a lot more. Uh, F-bombs, <laughs> and a much higher risk of players who do use hate speech being caught on these microphones with unobstructed audio for these sorts of review, um, which has been good because you, you need to crack down on that if it's happening. Um, but I think it is an unexpected um, quirk, I guess, of the past 12 months that we will be losing as stadiums return to full capacities gradually over the next 6 to 12 months. It's good, but it's not who they are. They just don't want you to know, Jeff. It's not who they are. The first time <laughs> no, they've ever... No, it's just not who they are. Amazing. Had a, a mental slip. Isn't it crazy how many times there are uh, fathers of daughters or, uh, you know, brothers of, of queer right. siblings who just, it's not in their character to say these sorts of things. But one time, the, the one time that they have ever said it, tough well, break. they just happen to get caught by a hot mic. I know that that's a tough break. Let me tell you. Um, so I do want to also, before uh, we uh, sign off here, I want to talk about the super league. As we were saying uh, before we started recording here, my favorite part of this story is that European soccer fans we're not going to accept some kind of NFL Super League. I mean, here in the U.S., we take it as a given that sports owners are these greedy billionaires who will sell out the fans, <laughs> sell out tradition, sell out everything to make an extra dollar. And in Europe, they're like, nope, that's not going to fly with us. And I just think that's the best part of this story. Yeah, there, there's something that is very... If you were just trying to explain to someone why European soccer hits different than American sports. Like you just got this perfect overblown kind of hilarious 48 hour, uh, just absolute drama fest. And it was amazing to see happen in real time because it started with the most like banal press release. Like you can tell that, that the, the people who wanted to found the super league had no plan. You can tell that they're not like, okay, we're going to roll it out. We're going to start by telling our supporters locally, meet with them, just kind of break it to them. So they feel like they have input, but they don't really, but at least we, we save face that way. And then we're going to do these videos where players and coaches are endorsing it, saying why it's important to their careers. Nope. They just sent one press release on like white, plain white letter stock with like times new yeah. Roman font. And we're just like, hey, by the way, we are taking the six biggest clubs out of England, the three biggest clubs out of Spain, and the three biggest clubs out of Italy. And we're looking for three more clubs if you're interested in Rich. Uh, and we're just going to kind of pull them out of your communities. Hope you don't mind. By the way, they might relocate outside of your city because we're only going to be playing each other. Time will tell. Um, <laughs> yeah, and immediately, like you said, uh, fans weren't having it. Players weren't having it. Coaches weren't having it. They have grown up in this system for like 120 years in England. That, that is not something that you're easily just going to say like, oh, yeah, sure, we're going to go ahead and uh, you know, just, just let your teams break out of the Premier League, even though the Premier League has only been around since 92. Um, it, it has been about 15 to 20 years, I think, since the last major relocation of an English uh, soccer club uh, when Wimbledon FC moved and became MK Dons. And the outrage lasts to this day in that company, even though Wimbledon has started their own Phoenix club that plays in the same, if not a better league, than MK Dons does now. Um, John Green is involved with that, uh, the author, if you're familiar with him. Um, it's just, it, it's unbelievable uh, th that they thought, you know, and again, a lot of this 
not all of this, but a lot of this does stem from minds like John Henry, who's at Liverpool and also the Boston Red Sox, or Stan Kroenke, who has ownership in at least three major men's American sports leagues, as well as Arsenal, and the Glazer family, right. runs the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and they're bringing their insights, and they're saying, like, look, we see that if my Buccaneers win the Super Bowl or when we're playing big games against big teams, we get more money than if we're playing against minnows. When we are Manchester United, we're playing against, I'm sorry, I'm just going to pick on my own team because we were relegated last year, AFC Bournemouth, it draws a lot less than when we're playing Chelsea. Why can't we always play Chelsea? Right. right? And, and I think that to an American mind, it's like, yeah, of course, you want to play the best. You hear this all the time with college football and fans wanting to have a super conference, right? But uh, it just doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because a lot of these clubs were founded as like community entities, basically like, the equivalent to a YMCA or like an after work kind of social club. And so they, they truly are clubs. That's why you're called a club instead of being a sports franchise or a team. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was good to see how quickly uh, these, these English clubs ended up recognizing how wrong they were uh, and a huge credit to the fan outrage. You just wish that the fans could bring that same energy to try to bring racism and homophobia and all these right. other, frankly, more important things out of the society, but it's a first step to remind them that they have a voice. Hopefully they're able to channel it into something productive. And in Boston, we were saying, imagine if we just rallied like this when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. I mean, what what, what we could have accomplished <laughs> against John Henry. But I mean, my question is on the Super League in European soccer, isn't it inevitable that if not this, something like this will happen in the maybe near future? I mean, because you said, you know, the billionaires have already infiltrated the Premier League. AC Milan is controlled by a hedge fund that's known for buying distressed sovereign debt. I read this week, right. France te- a team is controlled by an investment vehicle owned by Qatar. I'm sure they really, you know, have that community spirit in mind. I mean, doesn't it just seem <laughs> inevitable that unfortunately we're like, or, or maybe not, or do you think this was like the iron wall, if you will, and they'll never try it again? Right. Yeah. I mean, like they've tried a few different yeah. times. There are instances that were not quite publicly as far along as the Super League has gotten this time, but they did float the idea in the 80s and and especially in the 90s, actually, when Italy was light years ahead of any other league in the world and they had the best funding, they had the best stadiums and and the best players, of course, as a result. And so they were saying, hey, why don't we just get rid of the the lower half or two-thirds of our table and incorporate in the Manchester United's, the Barcelona's, the Ajax's, what have you. It it got into a discussion space and then – it just became untenable. And, and the Premier League was renegotiating its TV contracts with Sky Sports at the time. And uh, there were just all of these sort of hurdles where it never even got to the point of a press release. It was all whispers, right? Um, this was the crescendo. This was the moment where they thought they had it and they thought that fans would understand. They assumed that fans were more interested in players than teams, which is kind of a byproduct of the video game generation. Mm-hmm. You pick your, your players and you don't really care who wears the jersey because fake players wear your jersey all the time. So... Uh, they were wrong. <laughs> I think that it's going to be a massive cautionary tale for anyone who tries to revive the same thing. Will there be a version of it that's different? Possibly. It sounds like clubs like Real Madrid and Juventus are hell-bent on making this happen. So maybe there is some other little tournament that happens during the year with you know four to eight of these clubs, and we'll see what stems from that. But in terms of like a, a whole you know kind of full-throated support of the Super League, I think it's going to be decades until we get that again. But like you said, uh, rich, rich people are going to want to do rich people things. Yes. And at a certain point, I think they're going to get the same idea. 
Especially when it's not even a person owning your team, when it's uh, some a vehicle of the Qatari uh, government. It's like, oh, wow, this is really personal, impersonal, right. rather. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, Jeff Reuter, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Reuter, R-U-E-T-E-R. Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. That was fun. Yeah, anytime, Alex. All right, so big thanks again to Jeff Reuter for taking the time and coming on. Great to catch up with him. Two straight weeks and two excellent, excellent guests. Jalen Messersmith last week who went from a Christian college to Summers on Fire Island. Jeff Reuter this week. Uh, good conversation. So if you have any more guest ideas, keep them coming. As always, you can find me on Twitter. My DMs are open against my better judgment, at AlexReamer1. So long. Talk to you next Saturday.